We are in part eight of a nine-part message series, I Want to Believe, But, where we are breaking down some of the hurdles, some of the obstacles, some of the reasons why people either say God is not for me or God is not real. One of the two is where people at are at. Now, I would argue that many people, whenever they reject God, they are not rejecting the true God, rather they're rejecting a distorted version of who they believe God is. For example, last week we talked about Goosebump God, this God that you always have to feel in order to believe in his existence. The reality is, and as we broke down in different ways, that your feelings don't always line up with reality. And I encourage you to listen to that lesson and our past lessons if you haven't, of these obstacles, these reasons, because one of them may be true for you, and I absolutely know they're true for your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, and your friends. So let's dive in to our message, because today's topic is absolutely relevant in today's culture. Like I said, last week we eliminated Goosebump God, this God that you always have to feel to believe. Today, I want to disprove what I'm calling Netflix God, or a better name for it might be on-demand God. So let's do a little survey, and I want you to be honest with everybody here. You got to be a little vulnerable, so let's see who can do it. How many of you, at some point in your life, have ever binged watch a TV show? All right. Oh, okay. A lot more. So binge watch is whenever, keep your hands up. I want you to keep your hands up for me. Binge watch is whenever you watch an entire series or TV show for uh, a weekend, sometimes a whole day, that kind of thing. Okay. How many of you, with show of hands, keep your hands up if you've binge watched. How many of you have binge watched a show this past year? Keep your hand up. Oh, didn't lose many there. How many of you have binge watched a show the past six months? Keep your hand up. Woo, okay. Past month? Okay, got lost a couple there. How about <laughs> the past week? Past week, binge watch a show. This weekend? Okay, yeah, we got a couple on today. You can put your hands down. Yeah, okay. So they're there. They're only releasing the Great British Baking Show one episode at a time, so I'm not on the most recent hit list, but I would be there if they weren't. I think we can all agree, though, we are an on-demand generation, right? So here's my thought process with this. Because we can get nearly any kind of luxury we want on demand, or at least thanks to Amazon and two-day shipping, all things fall in under the exception of all de on demand, don't they? Like it's how many of us have begun to adapt our faith, our relationship is being adapted in this culture we now live. It's, I hear this all the time, I prayed for this thing and God didn't give me exactly what I wanted at the time frame that I listed out. And listen, I get it. On-demand God is great until on-demand God doesn't give you what you wanted on-demand, right? And that story might be familiar to many of you. You might have been a teenager begging and pleading God to save your parents' marriage, and you believed that he would, but it didn't happen. Where were you, God? Where were you when my family needed you most? Maybe you have prayed with your spouse, with your church, 
with your community of people for, because all you wanted, you prayed, you prayed, you prayed, please, please, please give us a child. That's the only thing we want. But being a biological mother wasn't in the cards for you. How is that fair, God? Maybe you have an addiction. Drinking, pornography, gambling, online shopping. You know that this thing is not just keeping you from the people you love most, not just creating a chasm, but it's separating you from your relationship with God. And you've prayed, consistently you've prayed, God, take this temptation from my heart, and yet later today you may fall back into old habits. So often, God doesn't do what we think he should do, what we know that he could do, And so we either decide God is not real, not powerful, not good, or he just simply doesn't care. Where is my on-demand God? And the answer to that question is on-demand God doesn't exist. That distorted version of God does not exist. And I'm not just preaching hot air right now. This is a conversation that I have on a regular basis with people I'm ministering to. They'll say things to me like, Peyton, I want to believe in God, but I prayed for God to get rid of my depression, and yet here I am today. Where's your God? Or, Peyton, I want to believe in God, but God didn't save my marriage. Why would God want that reality for me? Where is your God? I want to believe in God, but he took my son away from me way too early. Where is your good God? And listen, I don't know where you are this morning. We are all on our own journey with Jesus, but I know nearly every single one of us in this room have at one point in our life asked the question, why didn't God fulfill our prayers? Why did he leave them unanswered? What was the point in the beginning? So I want to make it pretty simple this morning. I'm going to lay a foundation that we're going to stand on for the remainder of today's message. I want to fit ourselves into the bigger, wider story, the bigger narrative here. And so if you're writing things down, I want you to write this one at the top of your page. Nice and big and bold. God doesn't exist to serve you. You exist, we exist to serve him. Now, listen, I get it. That sounds so simple. Right? Many of you are like, I don't know why I'd write that down. That seems so obvious, right? But the problem is it's not obvious. Whenever we read our Bible, what do we often do? We make ourselves the center of the Bible. It kind of revolves around my circumstances, what's happening in my life. It's all about me. The problem is the Bible is not about you. You are not the main character of the Bible. God is the main character of the Bible. We exist to serve him. God is not some celestial sugar daddy to give us everything that we want. Note, things you never thought you would hear in church. (laughs) God is not some magic genie that you can wish on just right, and he'll give you three wishes. He's not some celestial Coke machine that you can kick in frustration whenever you don't get what you want. God is the creator. We are the created. God is the potter. We are the clay. God is Lord. We are his servants. 
So now that we've laid that foundation, we have to establish that before anything else, a huge question still remains. If God is not here to answer my direct calls, what is his role? And what is the point of praying in the first place? Great questions. Let's start with the first, and then maybe through the process, we'll answer the second. What I want to do with you this morning is I want to lay out three qualities of God's heart. And the reason I want to do that is because on-demand God does not exist. We just established that. He doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. So then what God does exist? Who is this God that we're supposed to give our life to? Because having insight to that will give us insight into these prayers that are seemingly unanswered. Let's go to point number one. Number one of an attribute of God's heart. God's heart is always loving. His heart is always loving. All of our parents out there, or soon-to-be parents, Let me tell you something that I know about you. Two things, actually, that I know about you, hands down. First thing that I know about all of our parents, a good parent will love their children no matter what, right? A good parent loves their child no matter what. There are times you don't like them. I get that. There's times you may even want to trade them. (laughs) Like do a little kid swap? We can do that. Arlo does this thing right now drives me nuts. I'll be in the living room, and I'll be folding clothes, putting them on the couch, getting them all nice, and in the right stacks, I'm going to go put them up, and Arlo does this thing. He's always, he's kind of in a chaotic mode. He does the thing I call a drive-by chaos, right? (laughs) So he won't even be thinking about the laundry. He's thinking about a snack in the kitchen, right? He's in the living room. I'm folding stuff, and he just like walks and boom, 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 just knocks them all down. There's no rhyme or reason, and then he goes straight to the snack. He doesn't stop, it doesn't phase him, and I'm thinking, are you kidding, dude? I just worked on that, right? They drive us nuts. Kids drive us nuts, but we love them. We'll always love them, right? Second thing I know about all of our parents is there are times when you will not do what your kid wants you to do even though you have the power to do it. You see what I'm saying? Right? In other words, right, you, a wise parent, will not always say yes to a child's request. Otherwise, they would be eating cinnamon rolls and popsicles for every meal. They would love it. They wouldn't wear a helmet whenever they rode their bike. But here's the thing, and here's one of the main reasons why God has established parents in our kids' lives, is kids do not, they're not well established to know what is actually good for them right? They, they see what's good in the moment. They don't, they can't foresee what is actually best, right? So if a kid, what's good right now is eating candy for dinner. That sounds great. What they don't know is they actually don't want the stomach ache that will come from eating candy for dinner. They actually don't want that more than they want the candy right now. They just can't connect those dots yet, right? A kid doesn't doesn't want the injury that could come from an accident not wearing your helmet. They don't want that kind of injury that you could get with that. But they can't foresee that because all they want to do is jump on their bike and go. Being a parent sometimes is about developing something in our children rather than just doing things for them. And you do it out of love. You love them. 
but you don't always give them what they want. And you do that out of your love for them. And the same is true in your relationship with God. He's always loving. Believe it or not, he always has your best heart and your best interest at heart. But he will not always give you what you want. I can't think of a a clearer example of this than Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Paul says, who shall separate us, or what, I would say, shall separate us from the love of Christ? What could possibly separate us? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Now, I need to update this, because it's likely you're not going to be standing naked with a sword in your face later today. If you do, I got to hear that story, because that's going to be quite a story, right? So, let's update it. What could separate us from the love of God? Can financial struggles separate you from the love of God? Does God love you less because you are struggling month to month? Because you can't find that job that is secure. Does God love you less? What about relational breakdowns? Does God love you less because your marriage is in shambles? Because your kids don't talk to you? Because your parents never understand? Does God love cancer patients less than he loves everybody else? Or depression? Is depression a sign, anxiety? Is it a sign that God doesn't love you or there's some kind of disconnect? What could possibly separate you from God's love? Well, let's use Paul's words. No, in all of these things, and I want you to lock in here. If you're kind of tuned out, listen to me half, I want you to pay attention right now because I'm about to give you the key to the right mindset. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. So often we play victim to our problems. We allow our problems to gain control over us because we automatically get into a place where we are unable, we feel constrained by our problems. But Paul says, you are not constrained, you are not a victim of your problems, you are actually what? You are a conqueror of your problems, whatever they are, and it's not because of who you are. It's not because of what you've done. What is, how? How are you a conqueror? Through him who loved us. He goes on to say in verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels or demons, the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God doesn't prove his love for you by answering your prayers. God has already proved his love for you by giving his son on the cross. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for you. And there's never a time that God does not love you. His heart is always loving. Number two, God's ways are always higher. His ways are always higher. Let's take a moment to unpack this, because as a pastor, this is a conversation that happens more than any other. In some variation, some form, it's summarized like this. Peyton, why did this happen? Why did these circumstances happen? Why did God allow fill in the blank? 
Please explain to me why I am going through the things that I am going through. And listen, these are tough situations. They are tough conversations. And slowly I am getting to a place in my life and, I'm, and, and in my profession where I stop trying to fake it till I make it. When I've stopped trying to explain it away, to defend God, to try to have an answer for it all. In fact, it is dangerous for me to try to explain God's reasoning because God's thinking is far above my pay grade. His ways are always higher. Why, does my, why was my son born with a disability? I don't know. Well, why did the drunk driver live and my spouse didn't? I can't explain it. Well, why did the hurricane wipe out my house, my community, my loved ones? I don't know. I don't know. And there's so many things that I'm not even going to attempt to try to explain. And even if I did try to explain them, you would likely tune me out because words and explanations don't make that pain go away. And so instead, I have to lean into words like Isaiah chapter 55. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts more than your thoughts. And I have to take wisdom that my, that knowing, I have to take wisdom knowing that God's, God is wiser than I am, that he is already in tomorrow, that he is sovereign and good and is working through all things to bring about his good. God already has the end in mind, and he's using things in my life to shape me and mold me into his son's image. But it's his knowledge, his power, his wisdom, his goodness that I have to lean in because it is far grander than anything my human limitations can bring about. He is infinite, he is glorious, and while I don't understand everything, I trust in his character and his nature, and his goodness to bring about the best result. And ultimately, his ways are different. And that's good, because I've tried my way. Many times I've tried my way, and it hasn't worked, so I need something different. Let me give you an example, a silly example of what I'm talking about here. Darian and I, we love to travel. And we have been blessed with the opportunity to travel many different places. Now, with travel comes a lot of airplanes. So we've been on a lot of airplanes, and we always go for the cheapest flight. We're cheapskates. We like, get us there the cheapest, because here's my logic. Think about it. The plane is in the air the same amount of time, and it lands in the same exact location for everybody on the plane. Everybody. So why would I pay two times? five times, ten times more than one person just to be in the air the same amount of time and end up at the same place, right? It's a no-brainer. And all I can see a difference is a little curtain in the aisle. It's like a little curtain. It's like you get special access on the other side of the curtain. No-brainer for me. I don't, and here's my, my, my strongest logic. The plane goes down, they're dying first. <laughs> they're on the front. I'm, that's all I got to say is they're going to they're gonna lighten the impact. So that was my thinking before I was upgraded randomly on one of our flights for one of our vacations, upgraded to, bu upgraded to business class, you know, the people behind the curtain. 
I got to go to the other side. And let me tell you, folks, it's not a plane you're riding in business class. It's a resort. <laughs> Did you know they have a private snack menu for people on the front of the plane? I mean, these are snacks that I can't even afford back home, and I'm just eating them all I want, right? And don't even get me started on the leg room. My legs were like the two leftover noodles in the spaghetti box that you rattle around. I had all the room in the world, right? I was loving it. I had no idea what was on the other side of the curtain. We landed for vacation. I was just going to stay on the plane. <laughs> like, this, this is doing pretty good. I, I'll just ride this thing back with y'all. You have no idea what is on the other side of the curtain in your life. Some of you are going through some things right now, and you hate it. You hate it, you hate it, you hate it, and you're screaming to God, God, why did you allow this to happen? And God's saying, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts, they are higher than your thoughts. You can't imagine what I have waiting on the other side of the curtain in your life. You're thinking, well, my boyfriend, he ghosted me, which for you older people, that means you text somebody, they don't text you back, they're like a ghost, they disappeared. It took me a while to pick that one up, but I got there, right? So your boyfriend, he ghosted you. You're thinking he was the one, and now you're thinking, God, where were you? I thought this was the one. I gave everything for this person, and God's saying, that was economy class boyfriend. I got a business class boyfriend for you coming down the road. Sometimes our marriages or relationships with our children, they have to go through hell before they feel like heaven. They have to be tested before they can be proven. You need to feel pain before you feel the benefit of health. I can't explain all of it away. But what I can say with confidence is so often we look back and see clearly what we couldn't see in the moment. What is something right now that you wish, but you can't see clearly? And that's why on-demand God doesn't exist. That's why God doesn't always do the things that we want him to do. He doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. To serve him, to trust him, to trust that his heart is always loving, to trust that his ways are always higher. And then the final point, to trust that God's presence is always enough. It's always enough. Now this point is a predecessor of last week's lesson. So you've had to have heard last week's lesson to fully grasp this one. If you haven't, you can listen right now, but go back and it's all going to come together. But what do we trust? What do we trust here? Well, at the Vero Beach Church of Christ, we trust that this is God's word. That it's authoritative, instructive for my life, that the Holy Spirit inspired it to give me the words I needed today to live a life in line with what God wants for me. That's what we believe. And so with that, we believe God's words in Jeremiah, like we talked last week. Those who seek me, what church? Those who seek me, they will find me. Those who seek me, they will find me. Let me make you a promise. I want to make you a promise this morning. You may be here this morning, and you are not a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're not where you know you should be. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're relatively new at following Jesus. If you are in that place, let me make you a promise. If you will go beyond what I call complacent Christianity, that is, you sometimes go to church, you sometimes serve, 
You definitely think about your football team more than you think about your faith, right? You're comfortable, you're complacent in your walk with Jesus. If you will go beyond that, here's what I promise you. If you truly pursue Jesus, you will get to know his character. You will begin to understand this absolute assurance that you can have in God's unwavering love for you. God will become your rock. He will become a firm foundation in your life, so much so that here's what will happen. You will get to a place in your life where you will begin saying, I don't care what happens to me because I know God is with me. You will seek him, you will find him, and he will be enough. That's what I can promise you. How do I know this? Partly from experience, partly because I listened to examples of people like King David, who we talked about a little bit last week, but whose life and ascension to kingship did not make sense, but he trusted in God despite all of the not making sense. This is a guy who cried out to God more than three of us combined, who's constantly in a state of prayer saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, why do my enemies have this kind of strength on me? God, why am I always on the run? He's the same king who wrote this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, that doesn't sound great. <laughs> what does he say? I will fear no evil. Why will David not fear any evil? I'd be a terrible Jeopardy host because the answer's on the board, but stick with me here. Why did David not fear evil? It wasn't because he was given all the answers. It wasn't because the turmoil in his mind immediately subsided. It wasn't because his circumstances immediately turned around. What does he say? I will fear no evil because you are with me. And that's enough. That was enough for David. God's presence is enough. The same God who is good on the mountaintop is good in the valley. So what about unanswered prayers? And let's close out here. What happens, or what's happening when I'm seemingly praying good things, things that I know God would want in my life, but I get no active response? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a nicely wrapped answer to those questions so I'm not going to either. I have personally felt the sting of my prayers not being answered. Good prayers, prayers that I thought God would want, like the life of our first child, but it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. So the only place I know to turn in those moments when God doesn't do what I want is the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I have preached on this before, but it is worth talking about over and over again. Jesus, in the garden, he's about to go through one of the worst days of his life. He knows exactly what is in store for him, and he prays, he fervently prays for God to deliver another option, right? Jesus does not want to die. He doesn't want to die that way. He doesn't want to go to the cross. He wants something else. God, take this cup from me, but what does he pray? But your will be done. Was Jesus' request answered? Well, he died, so his first request at least, besides your will being done, 
God didn't take that cup from him. Jesus died. Jesus didn't get the answer he desperately wanted, but he learned to truly, truly trust God in the process. He trusted that God's heart was always loving, that God truly wanted what was best for him. He trusted that God's ways are always higher, that he may not understand the circumstances, but he trusted anyways, that God had something better waiting behind the curtain. And God's presence was enough for him in those moments. Genuine trust, and he died because of it. So in your years of praying and not receiving, or in that dark moment in your life, whenever you desperately ask for something and you don't get that thing, trust that Jesus empathizes with you. He knows exactly what that moment feels like. And his life is a reminder to trust God anyway. You don't know how your prayers are being answered in this life or in the new creation. You don't know how your prayers are changing people or are changing circumstances. Jesus just tells us to pray, to pray to a trustworthy Father, and you will receive in some capacity. So what are you asking for? What are you praying for this morning? My prayer for you this morning is that you will recognize that God created you to be with him. That we were not meant to go through this life alone. We were created to be together and to be with God, but sin separates us from that. And sin is constantly separating us from the goodness of God. God is holy, he is right, he is true. We are broken and in desperate need of repair. And we have tried, I have tried to fix myself, and you have too. You've tried drugs, you've tried marriages, you've tried hopping around a job so you feel fulfilled, you've tried therapy to fill the hole in your soul. But what does Jesus say first? He says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus is qualified to say that because he is the Holy One who came in the form of a man, who denied all of the desires that my heart desperately clings on to, and then he walked into death row in my place and in your place. And if anybody believes in that, the Bible says, who gives their life to that man in waters of baptism, lives eternal life with him. Life with Jesus for you could begin today, but it will go on for all eternity. And so I pray, and we pray together, right now, I pray that you will put your faith in Jesus, that you will believe that he died for you on the cross, and that you will trust him alone to forgive you of your sins. I pray that you will consider taking your next step in your walk and committing your life to Jesus through the waters of baptism, that you will reach out to somebody this morning to pray for you, to talk about next steps with Jesus. God, we offer you this prayer with trust and confidence that if we ask, we will receive. And the receiving of our ask is not maybe the way we think it should go, the way we want it to go, the way we desperately know in our heart it should go. But God, it is an ask, it is a request of your will to be done in our life. 
It's a full submission that your ways are higher, your heart is loving, that your presence is enough in our life. It is leaning and trusting in the confidence that if we seek, we will find you. If we knock, the door will be opened to us. So Father, we pray this with confidence this morning. And together, your church says together, amen.